praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practiced it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. This was a psalm that I spent uh, quite a bit of time meditating on throughout the sabbatical. And uh, when I came back, I was, you know, I, the, the guys finished up a, the sermon series, the One Another sermon series last week. And instead of jumping into a new series right away, I figured we'll take a, a, just a week or two and do some kind of standalone sermons and some things that I've been thinking through and, and Probably uh, this week and next week will be on the subject of worship, and so this is what we see in Psalm 111. What, what we know about this psalm, what, there's things we know about and things we don't know. We don't know who wrote it for sure, um, but what we do know is we do know that it is an acrostic. Now, what that means is, if you don't know, most of you probably do, but maybe some of you don't, is that uh, the lines, it's not every verse, but uh, every line or so, begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so Psalm 111, Psalm 112 are both this way. They're acrostics in that way. And so um, it was a kind of an artistic device, a way of uh, putting things together uh, to, to show uh, a comprehensiveness of the subject matter. That was one of the reasons why doing it. Um, and it's important to know that because uh, sometimes the flow jumps around a bit. And when you look at uh, a, a psalm or thing that, uh, or a passage that is an acrostic, that it's not as linear thought as you might be used to, and so that may be why you see some of that a little bit uh, here in that. Um, but again, as I said, the, the main reason is it, it kind of shows this comprehensive approach to the main point that we should praise God A to Z, okay? So th that's really what, what's being communicated here. And so if you, you, and you see the, the, the title of the sermon is, you know, authentic praise. And so maybe you're thinking to yourself, so what, what does authentic praise look like? What is that? Well, I would say it's this guy right here in Psalm 111. Um, imagine you walked in this morning and, and imagine that you, you, you were, you know, getting around, get by your seat, getting ready to, to sit down and get ready to, you know, uh, have uh, you know, settle in for the worship service and everything. And all of a sudden, like, you know, there's someone up here, maybe, you know, uh, I don't know who, let's say, uh, let's say it's Roger. He's standing right here, right up from the front. All of a sudden, you hear him say, yes! And he's like clapping and cheering and things like this, you know. What would you think, right? 
Well, well, one, I mean, you would, you know, want to make sure he's okay. But two, you would think, man, there is, he's excited about something, right? You're, and in your curiosity would be like, what, what's, what's he so excited about? What, what's, what's going on there? Well, when you come to Psalms and you're reading through, so you get to Psalm 111 and you see this, you see this like, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. I mean, this guy here, holds absolutely nothing back in his worship. If there was ever an example of authentic praise, it's this guy right here, right? Okay? I mean, I mean look, look what he says there in verse 1. He says, with my whole heart. I mean, this is, this is mind, this is emotion, this is will, this is his entire personal being. I mean, he was worshiping with expression here, okay? I mean... You know, sometimes, you know, I, I had the benefit of being on the platform and looking out quite a bit. And let me tell you, you know, and I know musicians, they get to see this too. And, and sometimes words and facial expressions don't match, okay? All right? They just don't match at all. All right? This guy had the expression, this guy, he was his whole heart was worshiping God, right, okay? With his friends, okay? So it wasn't just a personal thing that he wanted to keep to himself in the company of the upright, it says there in verse 1, in the congregation. And so everywhere this guy went and who he was, he had to praise God. This is authentic worship here, right? So that's a great, that's great. It's a great point, right? But that, you know, whenever you study the Bible, one of the things you want to do is you want to say, okay, what question could this passage be answering, right? And, and that's a way for you to interact with the text, okay? So what question could this text be answering? So one of the questions I think this text answers is where does authentic praise come from and where does it lead to, okay? So where does authentic praise come from and then where does it lead us to? And so if I have a thesis, it would be this. Authentic praise, authentic praise comes from remembering God's works and following God's words, leading to wisdom and understanding. Okay, I'll say it again. Authentic praise comes from remembering God's works and following God's words, leading to wisdom and understanding. So that's, that's going to frame our approach to the psalm this morning. Let me just pause, ask God's blessing as we do this, and look at this text and let me just encourage you, you, when I pray, you be praying in your heart as well, okay? So whenever you're in a corporate setting like this, it's not just, okay, listen to the guy up there talking and wait for him to say the magic word, amen, so you can open your eyes, okay? All right? This is a time for you and your heart to be pleading to God as well, okay? Pray for me as a communicator. Pray for you as a recipient. Pray that the Spirit of God would, would work in your soul and people here, people who are listening and watching online, it's an opportunity for all of us to engage in prayer. So this corporate prayer is me just really leading all of us in prayer, okay? This is why, again, at the end, there's that corporate amen at the end. When I say amen, we all say amen, right? So let me pray. Father, I just ask, I just ask that right now you would remove distractions from us. You know, we want to talk about you. We want to talk about how great you are and there's an enemy that that's the last thing that he wants to have happen is for us to meditate on the greatness and majesty that you possess God 
And so I pray that right now you would just, just remove distractions, remove those attacks. And Father, I pray that we would have uh, our eyes opened. And I pray for me as a communicator that I would communicate in a way that is helpful, that is accurate to this text, that is, that is true and um, spirit-led, God. I pray that uh, this time that we spend together now, it would be beneficial to all who hear my, in, in my own heart first, God. So again, we're, we are grateful for this opportunity to look at Psalm 111. And, and Father, I meant to pray for the, the, the country of Haiti earlier, and yet you know, there's just been so much that that country has endured over the years, and the president going through the assassination of you know, last month, and then this month, a 7.2 earthquake there, and people dying, and, and, and God, there's just been so much, and there's, you know, these are the people who lived through the 2010 earthquake, and, God, I, I, I pray for that nation right now. I pray for the many pastors who I know there are leading their congregations, and, and it's a difficult, difficult time right now. So, God, I, I, I just pray for that nation that you would be merciful to them and, and that uh, yeah, their, their needs would be met. And if there's a, a way that our, our small church here can, can be a blessing to our brothers and sisters in Haiti, Lord, just show it to us, and we would love to, to walk through that door. So God, I, I just pray for them as we have our worship service here. We know that there's, there's congregations all over the world, and particularly in Haiti, where uh, they don't have the circumstances nearly as nice as we do. And so we praise you, and we ask for that, for you to minister in a unique way for them. In Christ's name we do pray, amen. So I said authentic praise comes from remembering God's works and following God's words, and it leads us to wisdom and understanding. So let's look at that first point. First of all, that authentic praise comes from remembering God's works. And we see this. It says that um, great are the works of the Lord. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. And then the very first thing he goes into is he starts talking about the works of the Lord. And, and I don't know, like, if you've ever stopped to, to think about God's works before. I'm sure some of you have, and, and, and you've been able to, to see God working in your life, or you've seen the things that God has done. And it's amazing, you get together with a group of people, and you start sharing stories about how God has provided, or what God has done, or how He's made Himself abundantly clear at work in their lives. It's, it's a time where it just brings so much joy to our souls, right? Okay, And then, if if we go into the scriptures, really the scriptures are just one running commentary of the works of God on display. I mean, look at some of the words that this psalm uses here to talk about the works of God. In verse 3, it says that they are full of splendor and majesty, right? Okay, they're, they're wondrous, verse 4. They're powerful, verse 6. They're faithful and just, then verse 7. I mean, we see God's hand at work all around us. Romans chapter 1 talks about how that by creation, we can see that God's, God exists. Psalm 19 directs our hearts and minds to the heavens because the heavens declare the glory of God, right? And so when you just look at creation, you can see God's work on display. You guys know, or you all know that we, we were on sabbatical and 
So we had eight weeks of sabbatical, we had two weeks of vacation that we crammed together here, and, and the first thing that we did is we took three weeks and we jumped in our van and my parents joined us and, and uh, we, we drove out to California, okay, and we drove back. So in three weeks, we drove 6,250 miles, okay, and uh, we only had one flat tire along the way, and so, and even that was, was really merciful in how that happened, uh, and yeah, I wasn't stuck on the side of the road with it, and and. Because the warranty on the tire cost me 28 bucks, and I was back on the road, right? Okay, so it was just an amazing, amazing providence of God. But some of the things that we did is, is you know, we, we got to go to a lot of national parks because, you know, my daughter just finished uh, fourth grade, and so this is a wonderful thing our country does for the fourth graders. They get a free annual pass, and so, you know, benefits of having a child right there, boom, okay? And so we got to go to national parks for free, and so we jumped in there, and we, we went into several parks, and so, oh, you're, you're showing some of the pictures, great. Okay, so, so this, is, this is from Rocky Mountain, and we were up there, and we went through. We almost didn't go to Rocky Mountain National Park because of this, the schedule and everything. You remember that? And we decided to go for it, and we are really glad we did. Okay, Nat, Rocky Mountain National Park. I mean, just look at that. It's just absolutely breathtaking. In our travels, even it's not just like, you know, sunshine and things like this. There was a storm chasing us one day. There was a storm just absolutely chasing us. We're driving down the road, and I could just see this. And we, were, we took like a, a, a scenic route, and so we we're on this dirt road here. And uh, I, I'm looking in my rearview mirror, and I'm thinking, this thing's coming. All right, this thing's coming. So, you know, what, what do you do? What, do? what do all guys do in those situations, right? You stop, and you get out and take a picture, okay? And so that's what we did. We stopped. We got out. My dad and I are out there. We're taking pictures and everything, and then we jump back in, and we take off. I mean, just the, the, the works of God in display here, right? Okay, all right. And, and, then, and then this is, you know, some waterfalls we, we saw there. Uh, this, is, this is Mia uh, pre-haircut, and so uh, uh, we, we were able to stand, you know, just see the beauty of that. Uh, again, we saw some things like this, just absolutely stunning and, and beautiful. Uh, let's see here. This was in Yosemite. Uh, just uh, no, not so many Yellowstone. This was in Yellowstone. It was just absolutely beautiful and amazing. We got to go see a waterfall real close up in another place we were staying. This is in Idaho. By the way, I only thought Idaho had potatoes, okay? That was the only thing I thought Idaho had. It is actually a beautiful state. It is absolutely stunning, okay? And so if you ever get a chance to go to Idaho, go to Idaho, you'll see beautiful things and have good potatoes. Um, this, is, this is also in Idaho as well, just absolutely beautiful. And then one of the places we stopped was in um, uh, Yosemite. This is El Capitan. Uh, no, this is a Half Dome. And uh, just absolutely gorgeous things. And the reason why I'm showing you this is not so much so that you get to see pictures from our trip. I want you to see how that none of us here could ever fathom of creating something like this. Okay, if someone even paints a picture of that, it's considered just, wow, I can't believe you can do this. Talk about forming this. We're talking about the God, the, God one, the person in Psalm 111 who he is praising in authentic praise and authentic worship. This is the guy who's saying, hey, the works of God are full of splendor and majesty, right? They are, they are wondrous. They are powerful. They are faithful. They are just. And it's not just in creation. I mean, look, look at what God did for his people. He promised them. He promised the Israelites. He promised them that they would have a, 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 a deliverance from their enemies, and they were delivered. And so we could go through all sorts of examples throughout the scriptures of how 
God had did wonderful works. I mean, He created a sacrifice. I mean, we talked about this in Adult Discipleship Hour today, okay? In, in, in Genesis, God told Adam and Eve, He says, you can eat anything, but just don't eat of one tree. Don't touch that one tree, for in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. You will die. Now, you know what happened. Adam and Eve, they, they, they did it. They, they ate of it. But in God's mercy, they didn't die that day. You say, well, did God change his mind? Did he go back? No, no, no. Something did die that day. There was a sacrifice to clothe Adam and Eve. And that became the picture of what Jesus Christ would do for us. And it says that, that, that God says, he says that there would be someone who would crush the head of the serpent. And there would be someone who would, who would, who would uh, uh, make atonement for sins. This is the works of God. This is a God that you and I, we've gathered here for this God today. I mean, this is the reason why we got here today, right? I hope it is at least. It's because there's a God whose works are great. Now, the, the original audience, when they're hearing this for the first time, the things that they probably would have thought about right away would have been the events of the Exodus and the subsequent conquest. Now, now what do I mean by that? Well, again, I told you that, that God's people were brought into captivity in Egypt, and, and then he, God raised up a leader, Moses, to lead lead them out, the exodus, out of uh, the land of Egypt. And there's miraculous ways that God did that through signs, and then he, he split the Red Sea, you'll remember, so they could walk across on dry land. And wonderful works of God in that story. But then once they got out of the land of Egypt, then they had to go get to the land that God had for them. But the problem was there was a lot of enemies there. There's a lot of enemies in the land, and so God had to drive them out. And so God went before them, and God used them in battle to drive the enemies out, and that's called the conquest, okay? And so this is what these people would have been thinking about most likely here of God's covenant and what God was doing in the great works is that God was defeating uh, all of Israel's enemies. So here's the thing. As they're reading this, they read it from their perspective. As we read it, we read it understanding the background of it, but we also know what happens afterwards. So when we look at this, we see this. We see that all of Israel's enemies were defeated by God's works in the Exodus and the conquest, but all of our enemies, they were defeated on the cross, right? right? And that's what we're going to celebrate here at the Lord's Supper here in just a little bit here, is that all of the enemies that you could possibly have that would hinder you from your relationship with God has been defeated on the cross. You say, but Jeremy, I don't, I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. I get that. I don't either always. But this is why it's so important. It's not about my feeling. It's about what Jesus accomplished. It's not about whether or not I perfectly obeyed today. It's about what Jesus and his perfect obedience. And so he perfectly obeyed knowing that I couldn't do it. Now, you say, well, does it matter then what we do? Yeah, it matters. Yeah, we need to obey, but not for salvation. We obey because of our love and relationship and glory to Jesus Christ. You see, this person here who is writing this acrostic psalm, and he is in, he's bursting with praise with his whole heart, and he's encouraging his friends, he's encouraging the congregation to be praising in authentic praise as well. He says, I'm just remembering God's works, and they are to be remembered, verse 4 says. So we're to study them, verse 2. We're to delight in them. We're to remember them. These are the things that we should be doing with God's works. So let me just encourage you. It should be a regular routine 
in your life to remember the works of God. Families, this, this is a great thing to do around the dinner table. It's a great thing to do in, in, a, in, a, in a conversation. Remember the works of God because it's easy to forget. We get pictures that we can see. We can visit places that take our breath away. And at the end of the day, what that should do is it should just make us appreciate the glory of God so much. Now, let me just say this before I move on to the second point here. Let me just say this real quickly here. Is that when it says in verse 4, he caused his wondrous works to be remembered. And then in verse 5, it says he provided food for those who fear him. Most likely they were thinking about the manna in the, in the, when they were traveling and they needed food and God was providing for them with something called manna is probably what they're thinking there. But it says he remembers his covenant forever. Now, whenever we see this word remember in the scriptures, uh, there's, 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 there's different facets to the word, okay? Often, most often, particularly when it talks about God remembering something, it's an idea of covenantal relationship, okay? So what, what, what he's saying here is it's not that God forgot something his, and then he then remembered it. it. It's almost like it's a way for uh, a word to be used about God for us to, in a way that we would understand, of, of him securing or him reaffirming a promise he has made. So, for instance, if you go back in Genesis, you remember there's a story where uh, what happened is then the, the worldwide flood happened, and that was in response to how wicked the world was. God saved Noah, the whole story of Noah and the ark, you remember that, and so that's how Noah and his family were saved. And then afterwards, the water receded and things like that. Remember what God said that he would do? He said he would put a bow in the sky, right? Okay, and so we look at the rainbow, and we look at that, and a lot of times we talk about that in a way of saying, hey, when I see the rainbow, I am reminded that God promised never to flood the earth again, and, I'm, and that's, a, that's a good promise, okay? Well, that's good, and we should have a reminder of that, but if you go back in Genesis and you look at the text... That's not the reason why God said he put the bow in the sky. He said he put the bow in the sky so that when he sees it, he will remember not to flood the earth again. Okay, now, what's going on there is God saying, hey, I might forget, and so I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to, you know, tie a string around my finger, and, you know, with a bow in the sky, and I'm just, you know, because I don't want to forget this. No, that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is he's saying, I'm going to put something in there, a covenant, a sign of the covenant in the sky, so it will be a reminder to everybody in the world and a reminder that I am keeping this promise, okay? When you see the sky, remember that I am remembering this, okay? That's what he's saying. You don't have to doubt me. You don't have to wonder if I will change my mind on this. You can be assured that I will keep this covenant because you look and you see the bow in the sky, okay? And so when we see the works of God, it's a reminder of his covenant. And in a few minutes here, we're going to come to this table right here. And remember when Jesus Christ, when he said that he was instituting this, what did he say? He says, this cup is the new what? New covenant. Okay, so in a few minutes here, when you eat this bread and when you drink this grape juice and we do this together here, in a few minutes when that happens here, what is going on here is, is a remembering of a covenant. It's not just saying, you know, I, 
you know, I re- you know, when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, he's not saying, like, you know, just don't forget that I died, okay? So we don't need a reminder necessarily about the event at the cross happened, okay? But what we do need a reminder of is the effect of the cross, that I am his and he is mine. That, that he is going to keep his covenant with me. That, that what he said, that if I, if I call out in the name of the Lord, I will be saved. That he's not going to change his mind. That he's given us something to eat and something for us to drink. To be regularly reminded that he will keep his covenant. And he will not forget it. He will not go back on it. See, this is why we remember the works of the Lord. I need to move on to authentic praise. It comes from remembering uh, God's works, but it also comes from following God's words. We see this, there's a turn in verse 7 here, and this is where the acrostic part of it, the literary device of it, it seems so jarring. It seems so kind of like a, uh, if you're driving a, a stick shift, you went from first to third gear a little bit there. For, you know, for those of you who remember driving stick shifts, and uh, um, you know, here it goes, his works, verse 7, the works of his hands are faithful and just. All of his precepts are trustworthy, okay? But it's not as jarring as you might think. Because he's talking about works, and all of a sudden he's talking about precepts or commands or guidelines or, or instructions is what the word means there. And so the basis that we follow God's words, is that's what he's saying, he says they are trustworthy, is we can trust them because it is the first part of verse 7, because the actions of God, the works of his hands, gives authority to his words. And so we see the power of God. We see what he has done. We see how good he is in his actions. And so when he then gives us commands to follow, when he then gives us guidance, and when he tells us how to live, we can trust that because we've seen his power. This is what this author of Psalm 111 is saying. He's in the corner praising. He's telling people to praise God because of the works of God. And he says, don't you realize, because of how good God is and what he has done, we can trust every word he has said. Every command that he's given, we can absolutely trust. And so how do we do this? I mean, it tells us in verse 8, through faithfulness, performed with upright, to be formed with faithfulness and uprightness. So this is how we follow God's word. It says that he's given to us, they're trustworthy, and we can follow them, and we're supposed to do it consistently. What does it mean with uprightness? And that's with you know, think about it this way with not just our hands, but also our heart. This is, he speaks to the motivation of following the commands of God. Is that we follow God consistently and His words consistently. We do it with a, with a heart knowing that whatever He's asking is good. And we forget this. I forget this. This, this is the reason right here why we sin. Right here. Is because we start to doubt whether or not God's commands and his guidelines are actually trustworthy. This is the reason why we, we, we go against God's word. This is the reason why we lash out at people and we get angry. This is the reason why we're tempted to cheat either in school or on our taxes or something like that. This is the reason why we're moody. This is the reason why this is because we forget. We forget that God's words are trustworthy. See, authentic praise comes from saying, I, I realize that God's words are good and I'm going to follow them now, no, again, God doesn't expect perfection. Only in Christ, he, only through in, in Christ's obedience did he expect that. But he does expect us to follow him. And so if he wants, at the end of the psalm writer here, he's saying, listen, look at the words of God. 
And if, if you're wondering about whether the trustworthiness of God, you're wondering if you should really perform them with faithfulness and rightness, uprightness, he says in verse 9, as an example, hey, he sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. He says, listen, if for no other reason that we should obey God's command, his words and his commands, his precepts, as Psalms, the word here is, it's because of the redemption plan. You have forgiveness of sins available to you. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, the Bible says, but because of Jesus Christ, we can have life. We can have forgiveness. And he says, holy and awesome is his name. Whenever we think of the redemption plan, the next sentence out of our mouth should be, holy and awesome is his name, right? But maybe we've just grown too used to the idea. Could it be that we've actually had a level, have a level of thinking that we expect God or demand of God that He take us to heaven, that He forget about our sins? They're not as bad as Stalin or Hitler or someone else. So surely God wouldn't, I mean, would I understand in redemption? You see, we are all, the Bible says, condemned because of our sin. In the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. I mean, this is the effect that sin has. Romans chapter 5 says, For by one man's sin death entered into the world, and death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. And so this is the future that we all have. But then the Scriptures goes on and it says, But by the obedience of one, many will be made righteous. My friends, understand we should be amazed. It should just, be, our hearts should be bursting with praise that God has given us a redemptive plan. Do you realize that the angels don't have this? The angels that sin against God, Jesus didn't die for them. The Bible's clear about this. And so we have something God's given to us that should cause authentic praise in our souls. So if we can trust God for our salvation, why can't we trust Him with our daily lives, with our worldview, our affections, our entertainment, our jobs, our roles, our children, our retirement, our singleness, our marriage? Think, think about how society would be completely and utterly different if all of society followed God's precepts. Think about this. Let's just take the Ten Commandments for a second here, okay? Let's just talk about the, the Ten Commandments for this. I put them up on the board just as a reminder, okay? Okay, so, so we have Ten Commandments here, and, and um, you know, these are, have been historically understood as kind of like a, a summary. Jesus and Paul both said, hey, you know, you want to know how to be a Christian? You know, this is kind of where you start type thing. And so, um, you know, there's plenty of other commands in the, in the Bible, but we'll just start with these ten, okay? Think about how society would be different if we all worship the one true God. I mean, think about that. Think about how many conflicts, think about how, many, how much confusion would be instantly erased if we all worshiped the one true God. Boom. Think of how different it would be. Don't misuse God's name, okay? All right, don't take the Lord's name in vain, okay? What is that getting at? It's getting at the heart of the relationship with God and the respect and understanding who He is. Think about it if we all understood, okay, listen, God is holy. 
and he needs to be respected and honored. Think about how society would be completely different. How much different would our world be if everyone honored their father and a mother, right? But think about that. Or don't commit adultery. If, if everyone said, hey, listen, we are going to be faithful in our marriages, faithful in our sexuality, following uh, uh, the Bible's example on that, think about how much pain and suffering would be just instantly gone in that. Don't lie about others. Don't bear false witness, okay? And, and the, the, the strict application of this is to uh, is slander or to say um, uh, say a uh, uh, spread falsehood about someone or say they did something when they didn't really do it. Th- think about this. Think about if, if we never had to worry if, if someone was going to speak wrongly about someone else, how different our world would be. Don't make images of God to worship, understanding that, listen, we don't, we don't need images. We don't need graven images. We have a relationship, a personal relationship with the true God. What about Sabbath? resting. What if, what if our whole entire world said, you know, we're going to embrace the concept of healthy balance between work and rest. Think about how better this world would be. Don't murder. Yeah, the world would be incredibly better with that. Don't steal. Don't covet other people's stuff. Now, the reason why you say, well, Jeremy, you know, you've been watching too much Pollyanna here to think about this, right, okay? I understand the world is not going to be this way. My point in this exercise is to show the trustworthiness of God's precepts. So if you can agree that if the whole world would be completely better off if we follow these commands, okay, because God is not just about putting rules in place just arbitrarily, it's for our good and for His glory. If you can see that here, then hopefully in your day-to-day decision-making, when God is pressing you on staying within the boundaries that He has, and yet you're wanting to push out, hopefully you can see, well, wait a minute here, God, you know, I don't like this rule. I don't. I, I, I want to go against it. But at the same time, I know God is trustworthy. I know that this is what is right, and so I can trust Him for us. And so this extends to what God's Word says about gender and sexuality, family, church, jobs, forgiveness, repentance, humility, generosity, compassion. The list goes on and on. If we can see that God, if we follow these, it is actually for our good and it is to be trusted, it extends to all of what Scripture has for us. And so I just encourage us to, to understand like this person, praise comes from saying God's Word is trustworthy. Well, I need to bring this to a close with the last point here is where does this lead us? So it comes from God's works, remembering God's works. It comes from obeying God's words, but it leads us, verse 10, to wisdom and understanding the fear of the Lord is beginning in wisdom, this psalm writer writes in verse 10. He says, the fear of the Lord is beginning in wisdom, and all who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. This man who's writing this psalm, he says this is where it's going to lead to. It's going to lead to wise living if we praise God based on His works, based on His words. I won't take time to turn there, but in the book of Job, in chapter 28, Job is, is marveling at man's ability to mine the earth for uh, precious gems and metals. 
But then Job asked the question, and he says, well, where can wisdom be found? So if, 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 you know, we can find gold and we can find gems, we can find all this stuff, he says, but where is wisdom found? And then he concludes, just like this person in Psalm 111, and like the author of Proverbs says, is that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, okay? And it, he ties this idea of fear to praise. Now, whenever you see the, the concept of the fear of the Lord in the Scriptures, understand it, it's multifaceted, okay? Each, each passage that brings it up, a lot of times brings a different hue to it, but the, the, the overall concept is having this awe, having this respect, having this humility before God, recognizing that we need Him. That's kind of the concept of the fear of the Lord. And so, this is what he's saying here. He's saying, this is what meditating on the works of God should do and seeing the trustworthiness of His words and being amazed, this authentic praise is coming in our soul by these two things. It should lead us to fearing God and recognizing, hey, I, I need Him. I need Him. And so, if we want to have a better understanding, fear God. I mean, this world is hard to understand. And I'm not going to say that fearing God will clear up every mystery of the universe to you. But what I am saying is you will have a better understanding of this world and how to live. As you meditate on His words and rejoice in His works, you will have this better understanding. It will, it will keep your emotions in check. It will keep the fear balance there. It will help us. And again, I can't promise that every mystery will be cleared up, but as your worldview is shaped by God's Word and His works, you will have a better understanding according to this text. A sense of peace and the ability to endure much more than you thought possible. So we can make many applications at this point. I mean, we got school year starting. Some of you uh, uh, are going back to school. Uh, let me just encourage you. Fear God above friends, above administration, above anything. Fear God. As you go back to work tomorrow, fear God more than anyone else in that office or in that shop or wherever you work. As, as you have your daily responsibilities that you're living out each day, let me encourage you, whatever, if maybe it's responsibilities at home, maybe it's responsibilities with family members, let me encourage you, fear God above all else. The fear of man is strong. and We all battle it. But we must go back to God's precepts and say, okay, how has He commanded me to live? I'm going to live this way, and I'm going to be marveling at His works, and then this will inform how I live of fear of the Lord out in my life. Let me bring this to a close. Time can never tarnish the works and words of God. They're just as powerful and relevant today as they were the day Psalm 111 was written. Okay? And that will lead us, verse 10, to fearing the Lord. So, remember His works. Let them shape your identity. Obey His words. Trust that His commands are good and beneficial to you. So maybe some of you are you're wondering about, listen, I know what the Bible says about this, but you know what? I, I just feel this, okay? All right, okay, I get that. Feelings are true. I have them too. But if you're ever going, okay, I know the Bible says this, but I feel this way. You go back to Psalm 11, it says, but His precepts are trustworthy, Okay? You know, we, we follow God, not out of our gut, but because of what He has done for us and what His words tell us to do. So obey His words. Live in wisdom by fearing the Lord. Let me give you a couple homework things to think about before we transition to the Lord's 
Supper there. Here we go. We got a couple of things here. Let me just encourage you again studying God's works this week. And so here, here's a couple of ideas I have for you. So you know, make a list of what God, how God has been working in your life. Okay, you can you can do this a lot of different ways. You can do biblical examples. You can just see, okay, well, how has God shown His works? And so maybe uh, you say, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go through every book of the Bible. I'm just going to write down one or two examples of God's work. So there's 66 books, and so I'm just going to over the next several months, year, whatever it is. I'm just going to read through passages in each book of the Bible and write down how God showed His works. That might be a good study. Or maybe you could say, you know, I'm going to take one book of the Bible and I'm going to see how many examples of God's works I can see there in this text. That might be a fun study to do. Or another example would be you say, you know what, uh, I'm going to think about personally how God has been at work in my life. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to take one from every year of my life. And so you start whatever year you were born and you say, where was God's works in uh, my life? You say, well, I was born. That was like gift to society, okay? So there, you got the first year done, okay? Then you go to year two, you can go all the way to however you are. And so for some, it's shorter. For others, it's a lot longer process, okay? All right? But you could do that. Or you could just say, instead of doing that, you could say, you know what? I'm just going to take however old I am, as many years of life I have, I'm just going to come up with different ways that God has shown His work. So it doesn't have to be tied to any year or anything like that. I mean, I don't care how we do it. My only encouragement to us this week is spend time meditating on how God has been at work in your life or how you've seen His works displayed. And that should lead us to praise, authentic praise. Another uh, example that I would encourage you to do is consider which of God's commands are the most difficult for you to understand or obey. So, you know, I know it says this, but... And then what I want you to do is consider that how maybe meditating on God's works may help you understand and obey God's precepts. So, in other words, who God is should inform how you relate to Him. And maybe this would be a good discussion that you have with someone else, maybe in a small group, maybe as couples, maybe as friends, or whatever the case may be. And so we go back to what we said, is that remembering God's works and uh, obeying God's words, that comes, that authentic praise comes from that, okay? But it leads us to wisdom and understanding. 